obviously COVID affected us all in many, many ways. And that my my way it affected me is that I kind of got into gambling again, you know, through stuff online, through lockdown and stuff like that. I suppose in terms of like the whole marketing yourself as an adventure and all that stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I suppose like I definitely had a good brand. I have a legitimate backstory of trials and tribulations that I overcame, you know, the kind of hero's journey or hero's story, whatever you want to call it. It was, you know, sort of a poster boy for, um, you know, young gay men, I suppose. In one sense, I was helping out with a charity in Ireland and things like that. So in one sense, there was a lot of good things coming from it, but also like because of the addiction, creeping back, one of the areas of addiction being an addict is that you're always going to sabotage yourself in some way, you know? I kind of sabotaged myself in that regard. I sort of like shut down really and didn't really communicate too much to people and kind of went offline because I was gambling. And also, yeah, I wasn't enjoying the speaking and stuff like that, but still I could have made something of, you know, made some positive impacts, but the addiction kind of crept back in over time. Mm. It just kind of like shut me down, you know? I stopped posting as much online and yeah, with all that, I still had aspirations. I was doing a lot of running. Ultramarathons have always been, been my thing. I, I, I tried to continue doing that, but then obviously with addiction and trying to perform at that level, I just ended up getting injured a lot and, you know, just things aren't really working out. So it just steadily got worse, I suppose, as as I continued gambling and, you know, that affected my mental health, my sleep. But again, like I had these binges where I do it for a period of time and then I managed to stop myself. And yeah, like they just, every time I went back in, it got worse and I had more and more trouble to stop myself. Welcome to Out of Adventuring, the show about explorers and inspiring adventurers and the details behind their incredible journeys. They not only take us through their hardships and highlights, but also let us know what they have learned on these trips that has changed them and their everyday life. Hi, I'm Torben from the World Explorers Collective and today with me is Gavin Hannigan. He's an Irish explorer and adventurer. He runs ultra marathons and endurance races, and he's known for having crossed the Atlantic Ocean in a rowboat and thereby setting an Irish record. However, the past few years have been extremely difficult for Gavin. In fact, our conversation is one of the first interviews he's been giving in a long, long time. But to understand that, we have to go back, back to his past, to understand where Gavin is coming from and what he has experienced and what he's carrying with him his entire life. Gavin is sober now, since he's 21. He was a drug and alcohol addict. And actually when I say was, that's not really correct because as Gavin keeps pointing out and as so many people will tell us that once an addict, always an addict. And this is the big problem. Gavin fought his addiction with jumping into adventures, with committing to extreme physical activities like rowing the ocean or running Arctic races. He was a popular figure when it came to motivational speeches. He built a brand around himself and he was out there and could make an impact. And as he said, was a role model for gay young men, for gay adventurers. But then COVID hit and COVID hit everyone extremely hard. But what it meant for Gavin is that all of a sudden he felt he was shut down. He was living in Chamonix, one of the most beautiful places that you can imagine. If you listen to this podcast a bit more, then you hear this town all the time because this is where great adventurers, explorers and athletes live in the mountains. However, for Gavin, a addiction kept creeping up. Luckily, he didn't go back to alcohol and drugs, but he became addicted to gambling. And that nearly destroyed his life. And it took him until very recently to overcome it. And fighting addiction with adventure seems a bit unusual, but actually 
it might not be as crazy as it sounds. Because it's all consuming. It does take everything from you. However, for Gavin, it wasn't that he just picked adventures and extreme endurance races to combat addiction or his challenges and his struggles, but actually the outdoors, adventure and extreme physical situation have always been a huge part of his life. Yeah, just when you were speaking there, I, I just had this vision from my childhood about the outdoors. And I suppose, obviously, you were saying how it started a bit earlier. And yeah, it did for me. And the reason why that I, well, the reason why in hindsight that I've, I've seen it in my mind is that growing up in in the house that I grew up in with my family, there was a lot of turmoil. My my father was a, was a, an alcoholic and drug addict, gambling addict. And there was a lot of turmoil when I was at a young age and we lived just outside of Galway, which is a town city in the West of Ireland and out, out outside it, there was a, like a, a woods right beside there. And then a river that was led right to the ocean. It was only a few hundred meters. And I always remember, you know, being able to like go outside and play and or being told to go outside and play because it was like some big argument going on in the house. And, uh, and I also didn't want to be there. So I wanted to like escape from it and avoid mm. the sort of the confrontation that was happening with my mother and my father. So I, I distinctly remember the, the sort of like the freedom, the escape, the peace that was out there in nature. And for me, it was just being able to go down to the, the river and follow the river down to the ocean. And, and it was all right there on my doorstep, you know, so I suppose from an early age that, that became, I suppose the, the sort of my cure, if you will, or, you know, it's sort of my escape really, you know, it's an easy thing mm -hmm. to have as an escape because it's all around us. So it's always something that I was able to tap into. And I suppose that obviously that evolved over time <laughs> into seeking out more and more of that. Yeah. And that was when you were really young, that mm -hmm. adventure became an escape me mechanism from the parents, from the household that that you were living in and when was it that you actually found yourself confronted with like the similar issues that you know you also been quite vocal about the fact that yeah. you were abusing substances yeah it's funny because i saw all the stuff that my dad did and we you know didn't really do a good job as a, as a father it was never there like my mother they both split up eventually and like he was never around and i saw him not very periodically, not very much. And mm. I didn't really know at the time, but I didn't have like that positive male influence in my life. I never had a, a sort of active father. And like I had of mm. uh, a mother and three, three sisters. So there was no male there in my life growing up. So yeah, I, I saw my dad as a teenager. I didn't like him, you know? Yeah. I hated him when I was, you know, sort of like 14 or 15, you know? And then the irony is like that I, you know, I actually went down probably the same paths and not, not the exact same path, but this, you know, I had the same thing in me, the, you know, the, the, the addictive personality. So yeah, I, like many young people started, picked up a drink around the age of 15 or 16. I sort of loved it at the time, you know, I, it became, it became a, a sort of like, like the outdoors became an escapism. It became another escapism, but it became more addictive and more damaging and, you know, something that is more costly and more, a very, very costly escapism, should we say. And mm. uh, yeah, so, you know, I, then I, I, I sort of, my life kind of went crazy. Like I had been pretty normal and like doing a lot of sport. I was quite into swimming. I always, as I said, like the outdoors was sport was a, was a, was a big part of growing up, but then that all stopped and I 
went from drinking to using drugs and things kind of got out of control very, very quickly from the age of, yeah, 15, 16 onwards. And by the age of 18, and my mother was like, you know, had had enough and was like, get out of the house. And yeah, I sort of ended up in trouble with the law and tr dealing drugs. And then I had to leave, I actually had to leave Ireland and I went to the UK and I was living in London for a while. And yeah, just completely off the rails, as we say here. And yeah, mm -hmm. like just full-blown alcohol and drug addiction. And then I had a bunch of gambling on top of that as well. So it was just was like the whole, the whole, the whole scape of, 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 of addiction. Yeah. It sounds like you were really in a, in a dark hole also at an age where you're also finding yourself and your, your place, that plays a, a huge role. Then if you are not in an environment that is, you know, yeah. su supportive of, of that, but you are amongst people who then probably also have these troubles and you just get into this downward spiral. Absolutely. Yeah. Just one thing leads to another. I mean, if you, yeah, as you said, like you're, you're at that age where you're developing emotionally, mentally, and you know, you're supposed to be turning into a man and you're just rejecting everything and just like going to party and, and to get as messed up as possible. I was also one of the reasons that I suppose that I was really took, took to as well. Like I, I had, I had issues dealing with the fact that I was gay. I hadn't really told anyone until I was probably 20, you know, and, and like that, I kind of wasn't able to be a piece of that myself and yeah yeah it was just a you know a really tough time and a lot of a lot of young people party and have fun and have a good time and some people do to an excess but like when you you know get in trouble and have to go on the run and you owe money to people and you can't hold down a job like yeah it's, it starts to become a bit more serious and then the older you get like you just get things start to pile up and you just get into more and more trouble you know so by the age of 21 I wasn't really doing very well. I was living in a, in a flat in outside London, in Essex. I'd been getting jobs on building sites, but I kept losing them. I was, you know, I'd end up like partying like all weekend long, I'd, like have no money left, even like be able to get a train to work on, on a Monday morning, just totally irresponsible. But like at the same time, totally out of control because I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. Like I was binging, going to these raves, ended up like doing like pretty hard class A drugs, which, which, which I never envisaged doing. I always thought, oh, I'll just do a little, you know, party and take a few ecstasy tablets and stuff like that. But when you start smoking heroin and crack cocaine, it's really getting serious addiction. It was bad for a while. Actually, one of the things I really remember about it is that like, I lived in this flat and I saw this other guy and we were both, both addicts and there was no furniture in the flat and we moved in with the full intention of buying furniture, but like we would inevitably get money and spend it on drinking drugs. In our living room, we had like these bean bags and we had a cheap television just like propped on a box. And then in my bedroom, it was a small one bedroom and single, single room. And I had like a single mattress on the ground and that was it. And then there was no curtains and I actually had the windows blackened out with black bags. It was just like this dark little cave. And I actually was in a weird way. I was quite proud of the fact that I was able to get these This, these windows so blackened out the I would, wouldn't know if it was night or day. Like, and I used to just wake up sometime in the morning, it would be pitch black and just get stoned and just go back to sleep. Living in this dark little hole, you know, it was just, when I look back, like, it's just no way, it's no way to exist. Wow. It sounds like in a really bad way out of, out of the movies. If you want to make a movie like this, you know, when you really want to show people are at rock bottom, this is the kind of setting you would probably envision. It's. Exactly. It's yeah. absolutely crazy to think, well, first of all, that you came out of it, obviously, but you now said that things got really serious, which I think everyone hopefully agrees that if you start smoking heroin and, you know, these kind of things that, that th this is not a party drug anymore, you are in serious trouble. 
However, it's probably not that easy to completely understand that when you're in that situation. How was it for you? Like, or, or maybe was it? Did you realize, okay, I'm crossing a line? Or where was that point where you realized I need to change something? Or this is a very, very dark road I'm now heading down? I suppose like to go back to, to go back, to go back to my dad and that, uh, you know, I knew he, like I, I saw his behavior growing up. I knew he was an alcoholic. I knew he was an addict. And for me, it was like, I always had this thing that I was not like him, you know, cause I didn't like, I hated him that, that much, you know? And like, I, I actually kind of consciously made the choice to use drugs because I thought in some weird way that wasn't going to be like him cause he was more an alcoholic. Mm. And even when I drank, I, I was still out of control and I still drank a lot. And the thing is, I never, I never really had kind of control and I always knew that. So in the back of my mind, there was always this, like that truth seems to just always linger that I was like my dad. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. It was always a problem. And even though, yeah, like I didn't use the, the most addictive drugs, like I still used weed addictively. Like I'd wake up in the morning, get stoned straight away, or I'd still drink at any time of the day. And I generally wouldn't stop unless it was like two or three days later, you know, I always knew that I always knew that I was powerless and that it was like, I couldn't stop. Like once I started, it was very, very hard for me to stop. So that always kind of lingered there, I suppose. At the, you get to the point where I think I was using a lot of ecstasy because I was big into like the rave scene. I used to go to, you know, all these rave parties and stuff. And that was part of the whole thing. But then like when you're, when you're using a lot of ecstasy for extended period of time, like the come down, the come down from that drug gets worse and worse. Then mm -hmm. we, then I was like, okay, well, I need something to take the edge off to come down. It's like, oh, I'll just like smoke some of this heroin and that's going to take the edge off. And then all of a sudden you go from like, you know, okay, well, let's not bother with the ecstasy at all. Like, let's not even go out and let's just stay in and just, just smoke that. So like, it wasn't like, yeah, it was like this blurring of the whole thing and just one thing leading to another, but yeah, it's just kind of, I suppose if you're an addict like myself, I think there's just that inevitability that you're going to look for something more potent, really, mm. you know, because other, other things just don't work as well, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, to some extent, your adventures, they are a... Another kind of extreme, obviously, a bit more healthy in terms of you you don't you don't destroy your body, but they're also a you know well, a, a, a dead yeah <laughs> okay we will get to that the toll it takes on your body. I I just really want to draw a line that no matter what you do yeah. outside, it's probably not as harmful as smoking smoking heroin. But no, I hope look, that is yeah I yeah. can definitely like I mean this is something that I I love to get into today is like you know obviously speaking about addiction and like what it means and stuff like that. And like what addiction means in my life since I put down alcohol and drugs, like the thing is like, I haven't used alcohol and drugs in over 21 years. So I, you know, I got clean and sober when I was 21 I'm I'm 42 now. So like I have, I used from the age of 15, so I used for six years and I've been clean for 20, 21. So I have a lot more life experience, like away from that, but I, I I'm still an addict. I still have mm. the disease of addiction, you know, the disease of addiction is recognized as a disease by the World Health Organization. And it definitely is, you know, so there's that yeah. still in me. And like, if I was to pick up another drink or drug, I'd be in trouble, but it still manifests itself in other ways. And like, that's definitely something I, I'm, I'm keen to talk about. Absolutely. And maybe then that's a, a great point to, to understand how you came from that. So let's go back to your 21. And as you said, this is, then there was this point where you took the last, last drink, the last piece of piece of drug maybe just quickly bring us back to that moment was it a deliberate decision was it something that 
just happened? And then also, how does that connect to then you picking up adventure as your new, completely all-consuming habit or addiction almost? Yeah, so that that time in London, I I spent, you know, I was kind of, I, I couldn't go back to Ireland because I, you know, I'd been in trouble. And then I did actually go home for a funeral. And then I hadn't seen my family or anyone for quite a while. And then I went back to see my mom. And then I, I ended up staying with her. She let me stay and I hadn't seen her in ages. And then I kind of continued partying and I got really messed up one time. And yeah, she she confronted me the night after when I was like pretty over and stuff and yeah i just kind of i don't know where i kind of broke down like i i you know it was just that confrontation that emotional you know from a family member because like i as i said i've been away and i've been not really touching and so i was like almost shielded from that and i was really struck struck something because for me like my mother had been through so much with with my with my dad over the years and then like to have her have her son basically take the same path in a way and uh, was, was, was heartbreaking for her and her only son, you know, and to see me sort of destroying my life, you know, so it was quite an, uh, an emotional thing, you know, and that, that, that I did, she told me that I needed to get help and, you know, that I can't stop. And, you know, I, I, I admitted it. I knew it myself deep down, you know, when you, as I yeah. said, I knew it from, from, from early on. So look, she, she proposed that I go to a 12 step recovery meeting or that I start to look into the idea of going to rehab and stuff like that. So I, I did some 12 stuff and that. And it didn't really work. So then eventually we looked at going to rehab. So I committed to doing a rehab and I did a rehab for close to six weeks. And that was kind of the real kickstart that I needed to realize that I, I am an addict. And this is the only solution for an addict really to have a decent life is to abstain completely from marathon drugs, which is, which is what I, what I did from then on. But it was, it was very, very tough as a 21 year old, you know, I, I come back to yeah. Ireland, you yeah. know, and it's not a lot of 21 year olds in Ireland that don't drink or use drugs. So I really had to change change my life but the thing is like i you know that a lot of people like they they have a drink drug problem and like their lives kind of get destroyed as such you know and they lose their mm-hmm. jobs or families and stuff like that like i didn't really have a whole lot to begin with and what i mean by that is that i dropped out of school i never learned to drive i had really i just worked on some building sites laboring I had no no like skills or qualifications or anything so i really had like at 21 years old i had absolutely nothing and it was a case of like really starting all over again. So, you know, I really kind of just, I suppose I did this kind of period in rehab and it was tough. Like I came back out and I actually used again, a relapse a couple of times, you know, mm. but I actually stayed with the, the 12 step recovery, which, which is a community of people to other people that were trying to stay clean and sober. And from there, uh, I really kind of made an effort and it was through meeting another person who, another guy who was also getting clean and sober, who, who was, you know, just looking at trying to go surfing. So he said, oh, I want to go surfing. I've just sold my, I used to be a DJ and he's like, I got to sell my DJ gear. Cause that's like, you know, I don't want to be back in the party scene. Yeah, yeah. I've got this bit of money and I said, I'm going to buy Like, I want to buy a wetsuit and a board, but I don't have enough money for a board and a wetsuit. I can buy a wetsuit. And I had like, I was on the dole. I said, look, I will tiny bit of money here. I could potentially buy a board. So between the two of us, we got a wetsuit and a board and he had a car. So we drove like for an hour down the coast to this surf spot. And said, we'll give the surfing a go. And he, had, he, he, of course, he went out first, you know, put on the, the wetsuit and jumped on the board. And, and, you know, I waited in the car and it was like west of Ireland weather it was like, you know, hundred mile an hour winds and these huge waves and stuff. So it just, yeah, he, he came back in and then it was my turn to go out. And of course he had peed in the wetsuit. So I had to get him to this wetsuit full of this. And yeah, I went out and I went out into the ocean and it was, yeah, it was that, it was actually, that was the moment really. It was like, you know, you look back and it was, you know, I'd only been training sober 
you know, maybe a month or two, but like I was still struggling. Like I said, I had relapse and things like that. But, you mm. know, it was just this experience that I had for, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, freezing cold in the water in, in, in the west of Ireland. And I didn't even catch a wave. I was just getting, you know, nearly thrown on the rocks. But it was just this like kind of wake up moment, you know, and it was there. I was like, wow, this is cool. And like, I want to do more of this. And this is what life is supposed to be about. And, you know, yeah, like it was, it was, it was cool. So then that, that actually kicked things off. So, you know, I, I came back to Galway and at the time was, you know, trying to stay clean and sober and. We were just focused on then, oh, can we go surfing again? You know, so like, and then eventually it was all about the surfing. So, you know, that became the addiction. And it was like to, you know, go surfing in Ireland is, is one of the, you know, best places in Europe and best places in the world for surfing the West Coast yeah. of Ireland where I'm from, you know, so from there, you know, I, I, I stayed motivated and got a job and, you know, one thing led to another and I'm like going surfing all the time. So that was kind of a, yeah, the, the, how it happened. Okay, so it really was that that single moment or the, these 20 minutes that then gave you the inertia and the belief that, okay, there's something so great out there that's really worth fighting all these all these demons that addiction bring. And, you know, yeah, I said, they, they come in all yeah. kinds of forms and shapes. Yeah, I, I, I remember like I had a period where I was, you know, I was suicidal, like when I first got, you know, sort of into the doing the recovery and stuff, I, I, I was pretty strong out in terms because I really felt like I was cornered. I was, you know, I, I, I couldn't really deny the fact that I had these addiction problems and then I felt I had nothing, nothing else. So then I, I was, and I was also super frustrated that I couldn't really do anything with my life, you know? So that was, and I remember feeling suicidal and, I, and it wasn't that I was suicidal because I hated life. I actually mm. loved life, but I just couldn't figure out how to live it, you know? So. You know, I was like seeing people going off and living their lives and I just couldn't because I was like, you know, stunted by this, this addiction and my low self-esteem and all the things that come with it, you know, so looking back, like it's just when I got that taste of it, you know, through being out in the, in the Atlantic ocean, it just, it was like, that was like, okay, now we can, we can grasp this. Like, how can we, how can we do more? You know, so that gave me the, yeah, like you said, the inertia to, to, mm. to keep, keep going forward. Did you still have to struggle with your gambling addi addiction or was that also part of your recovery plan that you let go of that? I let go of that and it's funny, I, you know, I spoke to you before we chatted and I told you that I hadn't done any podcasts in quite a while and mm. I hadn't really been sharing much online and I've sort of been laying low and I, I, I've actually, gambling had become a problem for me in the last few years again. So I had been gambling, not very much, but I identified that I, it was a problem. I was more using the dr drugs and alcohol. And when I stopped the drugs and alcohol, I just, I stayed away from the gambling and it just kind of happened naturally. Mm. Uh, but I, gambling creeped back in, in the, a few years ago and it was a big problem for the last years. And I managed to stop there at the area this year, nearly eight months ago now. And yeah, like that's part of the conversation today, you know, is that like, yeah, well, like I was just saying, like addiction isn't something mm. that has gone away from me completely, like it manifests itself in other ways. And it's something that I have to be really wary of what I had. Yeah. Serious gambling issues over the last few years. And that also was a lot to do with, like I was saying that I've kind of like stopped doing a lot of the adventure stuff because I was kind of in active addiction really, you know, and it was, uh, mm. it was, it was quite, it was quite rough actually. Wow. Yeah, let's absolutely, let's absolutely talk about that part because I think that is 
so relevant for a lot of people to hear also hear from you who you've been then a professional adventure or what one would call a professional adventure i don't think that's a clear definition but you made your your living with adventures and eventually you know speaking speaking about them and maybe to again get that understanding on what what you've done so after that surfing after these cold plunges mm. you realized that okay there's so much more the the power of nature the you know the physical feeling of being overwhelmed and you did actually some very intense adventures just you know let me just name name one of them where you rode across the atlantic which is absolutely you know mind blowing maybe just shed a little bit of light on just so that we can get a feeling of where your mind was going and how you tried to push yourself at this point in time. Yeah, so I mean, it, you know, going back, going back a bit, starting surfing. Like I, I didn't get into uh, you know like all these extreme adventures for many many years later because I I got a job as a I train I went to Australia and I trained as a, a commercial diver so I worked as a mm. a diver in the oil industry for a lot of years nearly two, like eighteen years so you know from many many years and I and I and I was my adventures were more around surfing and snowboarding and just snowboard mountaineering and, you know, doing a lot of travel and stuff like that for a lot of years and, and, you know, climbing and things like that, just more kind of what I suppose thought as like as fun stuff, you know, mm. but then, you know, sort of maybe, well, yeah, I would say eight, eight, nine years ago, I started looking at like challenging myself a bit more and like trying to do two more sort of extreme stuff, you know? So yeah, I got into doing these kind of long winter ultra marathons and then it was kind of like looking for the next thing. And I suppose the Atlantic, you know, always, yeah, like reading, reading a book about the Atlantic and, you know, hearing about people being on their own for, you know, 60 days. I just was really intrigued by this idea mm. that like, you know, how, <laughs> what it would be like to spend that amount of time on your own. So yeah, I, I, I signed up for the, the, the race across the Atlantic, which I did in 2016, 2017. Yeah. So that was. Mm. Probably, yeah, my biggest kind of highlight as was in terms of like, you know, notoriety, but yeah, it's definitely a unique venture that not many people get to experience. Yeah. And that, so I think at, to, to, to one extent on this podcast, we, we create dreams and inspire people. And I think we also shatter some dreams <laughs> or to no what, what I, what I mean with that is that you at this point in time, and you probably lived the dream of many people that that are also listening because you were an adventurer you went around made talks people looked up to you and you know they were cheering at you you filled you filled rooms and crowds went on stage and and this was your living you were you were you know to that extent being paid to travel and to do amazing amazing things that so many people really find inspiring yeah. and at the same time all of this had a tremendous tremendous dark side that you needed to cap to keep this wheel spinning at all times. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, I, 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 I suppose I, I, when I, when I finished the role, it was kind of crazy. It just, it kind of, so in Ireland, there was one guy before me who'd so who'd rode solo. It was like quite a number of years before me. So it was like, I was the next, next person in line, but you know, people didn't know about it. So it got a lot of notoriety, a huge amount, more than I could have realized when I was out there. Now I did, you know, I sent back voice notes and I did, I did a couple of interviews on the satellite phone and, and then my sister and my friend were kind of doing like a social media and things just started kind of really blowing up. So when I came back, I ended up on like 
you know, the national kind of talk show and yeah, like it just, it just got, it just all got a little bit crazy, <laughs> crazy a bit quickly. And then, yeah, I was getting, you know, going to do speaking events and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make this a thing. So I started like, you know, going to do corporate speaking events and, and, you know, on different panels and stuff like that. And yeah, it was cool for a while, but I, you know, I never, I don't know, I never really fitted in, in that world. I feel I just wasn't really. Yeah, I just didn't really enjoy it that much. And the speaking wasn't so bad. And I, I really enjoyed, you know, I did a lot of, you know, school talks. I really enjoyed talking mm. to kids and stuff like that. That was always fun, you know. But like the, the corporate stuff, I just didn't, didn't really, didn't really like it, you know. Yeah, just sort of. What is it about the, I mean, we all know these stereotypes that there's this, you know, the bunch of managers are on offsite. And then there's the the person who climbed Everest who who ran a marathon. And then they come and they tell you about endurance and everyone claps and feels inspired. Like, how, how is it to be on that stage and talk to like how, yeah, how the energy in these in these rooms it's funny it's i just i just I, I don't know like my the i think the idea around endurance endurance events or challenges or like mountaineering or whatever it is hmm. in the sort of you know western world is is completely like skewed there's a lot of like kind of like you know this kind of machoism this whole like oh you never quit and it's all these kind of like I suppose these kind of lessons that are just regurgitated and stuff. And it's all very, you know, fits to like this kind of narrative. And like the reality is like a lot of these events that we do, you know, like, you know, for 90% of the world, like, you know, they're out there struggling day to day, you know, like, you know, if you go to, if you go to Nepal, there's like Sherpas carrying loads on their head, you know, all day long, they're doing like stuff that's like, wait, that's just their day to day. And it's tougher than, you know, a lot of, you know, what, what us adventurers end up doing, you know, I mean, rowing the Atlantic, you know, it was a tough thing, but at the end of the day, you can get into a boat in the Canaries without any oars and you'll float to the other side and you'll eventually get over there after like 200 days, you know? So <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Sometimes the perspective around these like super world's toughest events and stuff, it's just a bit ridiculous. And yeah, I just, I, I suppose I, I saw, I saw through a lot of that and I've never, mm. you know, I've done these, I've done some of these races that like claim to be the world's toughest and like, I've never. I never got in, I know I've always been like, I've been into going on the adventure because I'm intrigued by the, the experience I'm going to have. It's not because I'm trying to do like the world, like the world's tough as this, the world's tough as that. And I'm certainly not trying to sell it as that, you know, because I just, it turns my stomach. You know, I, I did, I did all this, this speaking and I had a guy kind of coaching me and he was like, you need to like, you know, you need to sell it a bit more and stuff. And I, cause I wasn't really like hamming it up as mm. much as I should have been, you know? So. Yeah, like I just, and of course I see all that now as somebody who's been through, you know, some, 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 some tough events, whatever, but also like I've worked as a commercial diver as like in one of the world's like toughest jobs. Like, I mean, I would, you know, like I've had that experience, you know, being in like dangerous scenarios, like all my life in crazy places all around the world. And so, you know, I don't like, I'm not like this office worker guy who's going to go off and like climb Everest and then come back and like try and tell people how to live their lives based on the lessons, lessons that, you know, that I learned out there, you know, so. Yeah, I just, that whole kind of like sphere, as I said, it just, it's, you know, it, it's fine for a while, but like it's, it can get tough. And, and for me, like it was always, you know, I, I, I would have a pitch of my story and I would tell mm -hmm. it and then it was like, okay, I gotta go like kind of tell that all again. And that, yeah, that, for me, that became tiresome, you know, because I just didn't feel that authentic, you know. What was that now? And I definitely will not make you repeat that story that you're so tired of telling, but what was that story roughly? Was it in really more about, okay, then I rode and then the days and then the waves and then the cold and then 
or were people actually interested in you as a person in a lot of a lot of the backstories what was most of the time the angle that you were also maybe to some extent forced to struck knowing what people want to hear yeah i suppose you gotta like i suppose you have to you know there has to be some sort of learning i suppose isn't it you know that you and like you know genuinely there is you know there's there's definitely lessons and stuff you know and you know talking about overcoming fear and stuff like that you know mm. but a lot of the time like for me like when I was out there, it was kind of like just, you know, I was in a kind of mode where I was just like, I didn't have time to be afraid, you know, but I'd have to like, then when I talk about it, I'm like, oh, I'll talk about how I overcame the fear, you know, but like in mm. reality, you know, you don't have time to be afraid, you know, but like you need to be able to deliver something better when you're talking to people. So you need to yeah. embellish yeah. the stories a little bit and try and make it, I suppose, relatable, you know, which is fair enough. But at the same time, it just, you know, it for me, like I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I like to go and do stuff and then I just like to like, Maybe just like not really just talk about it, just get on to the next thing and like and maybe that's a problem. Like not I suppose that's part of being an addict, you know. Like I I've always like I've always wanted more. Like that's the thing with addict, you're you you know, you take stuff and you want more of it. And then when I do something adventure wise, I want more until I until I break myself. And this is, you know, you know, we were kinda like half joking about it earlier. Like when I rode the Atlantic, I actually got a stress fracture in my back and I was like when I got to the other side, like I'd already decided on the way over that I was gonna roll back. So I was like I'm going to send the boat to New York from Antigua and then I'm going to roll back to Ireland. And then when I got there, everyone, they interviewed everyone after the race and they were like, do you, will you ever roll that again? And everyone was like, no way I'm done. And I was like, yeah, I'm rolling back. Like, so like, it was just that, that's the typical addict. Like they just, you know, once you get enough of a good thing, you want more of it. And mm. I, I actually, I couldn't roll back because I had a stress fracture in my back, which I had to take the time off and couldn't, and couldn't do it. And I since haven't, I since sold the boat, I didn't roll since then, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like, sometimes they yeah, as I'm kind of going on tangent here, but anyways, like, you know, I, I speak about being an addict and that's the, the typical yeah. addict mentality is like, you know, you're just, you're you just, you just kind of want to just the next thing and that's it. You know, you don't want to even stop to think about anything else. Yeah. And then, at, and then at some point, so as you said, you know, sold the boat. So you also find something that's more interesting and then that gives you more kick. And then you're also able mm. to just fully jump on that and forget about what was there before. Exactly. Yeah. Then how was it for you now realizing at this point, and I guess it wasn't a, this one event, but over a period of time, you, you were forced a bit into that role of marketing yourself, you needed to create a brand, all things that you did not enjoy doing. And uh, yeah, as you've, as you've already mentioned, you then, you then took some time off in the last, in the last couple of months or actually years. And that, I don't know if that collided, but you had then the, the gambling addiction on top of that. So how were these, you know, how long was the time frame now we're talking about and how was this, yeah, the part, the past years for you? Yeah, so I did my last kind of big outing adventure-wise was when I did the Iditarod Trail in, in Alaska, which is a 350-mile ultramarathon. And that was just before COVID, actually, 2020. So I actually, like, arrived back to my place in, in Chamonix in France. And then, like, a week later, we went into lockdown. So it's kind of been since then, actually. And that all, I mean, obviously, COVID affected us all in many, many ways. And that my, my way it affected me is that I kind of got into gambling again, you know, through stuff online through lockdown and stuff like that and like yeah i suppose in terms of like the whole marketing yourself as an adventure and all that stuff yeah i you know i suppose like i definitely had 
a, a good brand. I had a really, I have a legitimate backstory, you know, mm. of, of trials and tribulations that I overcame, you know, the kind of hero's journey or hero's story, whatever you want to call it. It was a poster boy for, you know, young gay men, I suppose, in one sense, I was helping out with a charity in Ireland and things like that. Mm. Um, and yeah, like, so in one sense, it, there was a lot of good things coming from it, but also like, because of the addiction creeping back in, there was like, there's part of me that's like, like one of the areas of addiction, like being an addict is that you know, you're always going to sabotage yourself in some way, you know? So I kind of sabotage myself in that regard. Like, and you know, I, yeah, I sort of like shut down really, and didn't really communicate too much to people and kind of went offline because I was gambling and also, yeah, like I, like I wasn't. I suppose like, yeah, I wasn't, like I, I told you, I wasn't enjoying the speaking and stuff like that, but still I could have made something of, you know, made some positive impacts, but yeah, like the addiction kind of crept back in over time and mm. just kind of like shut me down, you know, I stopped posting as much online and yeah, like with all that, like I was, like I was, I still had aspirations. I was doing a lot of running. Ultramarathons have always been, been my thing and, you know, running these, you know, like obviously these long races in Alaska, but just, you know, running trail races and stuff like that. So. I did have like aspirations around that, but they just weren't like as big as, you know, the grand adventures that I've done in Alaska and, you know, yeah. going across Lake Baikal and Siberia, rowing the Atlantic, et cetera. I, I, I tried to continue doing that, but then obviously with addiction and trying to perform in that level, I just ended up getting injured a lot and, you know, just things aren't really working out. So it just steadily got worse, I suppose, as, as I continued gambling and, you know, that affected my mental health, my sleep. Yeah. Uh, but again, like I had these binges where I do for a period of time and then I managed to stop myself. And yeah, like they just, every time I went back in, it got worse and I had more and more trouble to stop myself, you know? So I had these periods where I'd be gambling, you know, online 24 seven in my flat in Chamonix, you know, for like, you know, sometimes weeks on end, you know, like, and I was wow. still working as a diver at the time. So I was working in the North Sea and there was times where I came back from work and I knew I was going back to work pretty soon. Like, so one time I came back and they, they actually called me like, or let me know a few days after as I got back, well, you, will you come back in two weeks? So I was like, yeah, but then I knew that I had those two weeks where I could just gamble and I didn't tell anybody I was back. So everyone thought I was still away. My friends didn't really know where I was. I just assumed I was way worse still away working. And I just stayed in my flat and gambled. And it was like beautiful weather outside. You know, I'd been doing a lot of paragliding that time, but like it was perfect paragliding weather, but I didn't go outside and Mm. I like was like inside on the, on the laptop, just like on, on these gambling sites, you know, my, my fingers like were just numb all the tops of my wow. fingers from the track. I actually was on the trackpad for so long, you know, yeah. uh, that was just, yeah, like really, really strung out. So yeah, like I eventually had to, you know, try and stop that fully, you know, which is, which I, which I managed to do there in the year, you know. Were you at this point in time when you realized, okay, I really, you know, I want to, I want to gamble in a way you like ashamed of yourself? Did you feel a lot of shame that you're now going back into that? Or was it kind of way able to justify to yourself that this is not as, as bad as, you know, looking back, it, it might've been. Well, I was made at the time I was, I, sometimes I was getting lucky and I was making money. So when you're making money and you're winning, you, you'll definitely justify to yourself, you know, but the thing is I never took money out. I always left it in there, you know, so. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is the problem. Like I actually made a lot of money, like life changing is amount of uh, money, you know, but I actually gambled it all away, you know, because this is the problem an addict, it's not enough. Like, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm talking a lot of money here, like life, as I said, life changing amounts of money. Mm -hmm. And it makes me sick to my stomach when I think back that I couldn't just take it out and just walk away. But I, I was, I wanted more, like, it's just not enough. Like if you make, you know, 
that amount that you, if you make, you know, I had a number in my head. I said, if I make this amount of money, I'm going to stop. And I got mm. to that number and I was like, no, I want more. I can make more. I think I can make more. It's never enough. And that this is, this is addiction, you know? And like, I ended up losing it all, you know, like pretty much all of us, you know, it was pretty sad, you know, but that's the nature of addiction, you know? And was it that losing it all that, that pulled you out of it or were you able to sort of by yourself draw a line and say, this is, this is enough. I need to, I need to now change this. No, I could, I could not physically stop. Like I was, yeah, like I was at the point where I just was around the clock, like looking at the screen. I couldn't, like if I woke up in the middle of the night, I'd be checking prices and stuff. Like I would, my gambling was like too trading, you know? So it was like, you know, leverage trading and it was all like high stakes or stuff. And yeah, like I was like constantly looking at the price, like morning, noon and night. And there was a point where, yeah, like I, I was just really strung out after a couple of weeks of it. And I actually called a friend of mine and said, yeah, like I'm actually, I was due to go back to Ireland. And I said to her, mm -hmm. look, I've got this device like with, you know, that I've kind of like a security device thing, like, you know, where the money was. And I said, mm -hmm. look, can I, I just need to give this to you and you just take it away from me. And like, you know, cause like there was still a little bit of money left on there. And I just was like, I know I just needed to like, you know what I mean? Try it. Cause I was literally running out and, and yeah, like I came back and I like gave it to her and I said, just take, take this away. And I'll like, I just need to get away from this. At that point I didn't have access to it, mm. but like a week later I was like, I was sending money from my bank account into my trading account. Like, you know, so like I was still, you know, and then I ended up sending, having to send that money eventually to the device, which then like meant I couldn't get at it. So then I, I literally couldn't really have any money in my bank account. Like mm. it was crazy like yeah because i knew i just like gamble it so yeah like i yeah it was a few steps like that that i had to take where you know i was trying to like put the blocks in place almost you know yeah um, you can use these locks online now where you you know register yourself you know as a gambling addict and they stop you from getting on different sites and stuff so i used all that stuff as well to help you know but yeah like it was a realization that like you know this isn't getting better and like one of the aspects of addiction is that like the disease always gets worse. It never gets better. So there isn't a point where you like actually get like a bit more control or like, mm. you know, things are easy. It always gets worse. Like, like they call it like the progressiveness of the disease. And like, I fully, fully experienced that with, with gambling because every time I like said like, I, okay, I'm just going to like, you know, have this like weekend or I like just get into it like that. It just became harder and harder to pull myself out of it. Like where it led to like two weeks at a time, you know what I mean? I'm just getting more and more like as it's strung out, you know, where I just can't like mm. leave it. It's just harder and harder to stop myself. So I just realized that it was like just get, that progressiveness is just constantly happening. So I just was like, I knew like, I mean, I, I've all this years and years of recovery from alcohol and drugs. Like I know all this, all these concepts. Like, I mm. mean, I'm 21 years without drinking a drug, but like I still like went through it all and I had to relive it again, again, almost and not, like I'll. To my, to this day, I will say that gambling addiction is as bad as, as alcohol or drugs, you know, from my experience. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people underestimate that of course you have the, the physical addiction that everyone knows. And these are the, the common ones, alcohol, and obviously you never drink again. If you have a smoking addiction, nicotine addiction, of course you never smoke a cigarette again. And then you have all these addictions that are maybe not physically due to your substance that you know, your body is craving, but like gambling, more mental addictions. And there are so many out there. An obvious one that a lot of people always talk about this is, of course, being also to some extent addicted to, to social media, you know, seeing these red little dots popping up and hearts and likes and just dopamine being blasted through your body and you just, you just can't let go. And 
to to what extent now would you say it is it is really the same in the sense that I think a lot of people and uh, I mean everyone struggles and you know I also have my my things that I struggle with and I I realize if I do a little bit of it and just as you said you think you can control these kind of things but then you know it gets gets more and more and the only real option is kind of the complete shutdown or is there is is there another alternative for you do you think okay there actually you can do these things in in doses for you gambling or is there the only option is to complete shutdown at some point well i mean look when you're looking at alcohol and drugs it's actually you know they are bad 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 addictions but they're very there's, there's a lot of simplicity there like if you abstain like your life is going to get better and you know it's, but then you get into like gambling and gambling like okay you know it's to do with money really and like if you start thinking about it like it's to do with a lot of things you know people are like when i first started what I thought was, I thought it was investing. I thought I was investing in there. A lot of people invest, you know, they buy stocks mm. and shares, but obviously when you're like, you know, doing that 24 seven on like a screen where you're watching the one minute chart, like that's, that's actually an addiction. So then you, well, obviously like that's a lot to do with other areas of money, like, so buying, selling, whatever, you know, so, mm. and obviously like food and sex and like, these are, these are quite gray, gray areas, you know? And then the other one for me, which is possibly like one I'm very, very trouble, a lot of trouble really kind of admitting and stuff looking at is like, you know, exercise addiction is like this part of, is part of it, like the sort of, you know, the endurance events and stuff like that. And it, it's, it's no coincidence that a lot of addicts or former addicts are like people that are like endurance junkies that are like really into Ironmans or like marathons or ultramarathons. If you look at the population of endurance athletes, a lot of them are probably addicts. You know, there's, there's definitely studies out there. Like it's been, you know, it's not, this is something that's made up. That's a part of it. And like, that's, you know, when I start to look back then I start to realize that like, holy crap. So like I put down alcohol and drugs, but maybe I'm just like, you know, living my addiction in another way. Now, mm. okay, so, but like, you got to look at, maybe it's not as bad and it isn't. That's fair, you know, that's, you're, if you're doing positive things and you're obviously being fit and stuff, it's, it's definitely better than a heroin addiction. Trust me, you know, so, but at the same yeah. time, you still got to realize that like, yeah, you can, you know, end up uh, sort of feeling pretty bad sometimes. Like, for example, like when I'm training for like, say my ultra marathons and stuff, like last year, you know, I was really focused on like having a good performance and like I got a bunch of injuries. Now I was really, really depressed when I got injured. I was mm. like completely down now, like really, really bad as in like, it shouldn't be that bad, you know? So this is when you like invest too much in something and that's the other yeah. thing is like all or nothing. So I'm like, put up my whole life aside, relationships are, are, you know, suffer all these er other areas in my life end up suffering because I'm like totally focused on this goal. Mm. And like, that's the other side of it. Like we talk about some of these expeditions and stuff. And one of the reasons why I've been successful in some of these expeditions is because I've had that mindset. So I've used it in a good way, but also like there is detrimental sides to it. Like that obsession with, you know, people talk about it in sport, like it's selfish and stuff that like, but like, yeah, it's, it's actually kind of another side of addiction really that you're like, just mm. this, you know, that blinkers are on and nothing else matters. And yeah, other areas of life definitely suffer. And that's one of the hallmarks of addiction. When like other parts of your life start to suffer, then that's a sign of addiction. So when I, as I said, when I look at my, when I kind of look at everything, it's like, oh man, it's everywhere. <laughs> you are very vocal about now the fact that you had addictions and you made, it was very clear that you're still an addict, that this is a disease that just not, just because you don't act on it doesn't mean you, you're cured. How much do you think it is a struggle for people to realize that they're actually addicted 
And, you know, you now mentioned one of those factors that people might check upon is, do, do I neglect my entire life? And is this becoming my one focus? But how hard do you think it is for people to even make this very first step saying, okay, like I am addicted to, you know, whatever then that is? Yeah, it's, it's really, really tough. I mean, yeah, if I look back to, you know, when I went into rehab and after I did rehab, there was like this kind of care group that I went to every week and stuff. And like, yeah, a lot of those people aren't clean and sober nowadays. Is the issue for people is that like, yeah, they might have a, they might be able to admit it for a moment, but they'll, they, they end up going back to that crutch, you know? And I'm not saying that I'm like some sort of, you know, Miracle worker, I sometimes like when I look at this trouble that I've had with, you know, the gambling, for example, I'm kind of like, how do I not end up drinking like that? So I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I just know, I suppose that like that for me, alcohol and drugs isn't, isn't the answer. And I know that like, I've seen it, you know, time and time again, like it's the denial that people have around it. Mm. It's very, very strong. It's very like, it's like people say that it's a disease that tells you you don't have a disease. And that's kind of a good example of like, you know, of what mm. it's like, you'll do whatever it takes to protect that and not expose it. So yeah, it's super tough. I think, you know, the, the most natural state for like an alcoholic or a drug addict is to be drunk or, or, or drugged up, you know, that's their most natural state. So mm. there's so many people that like, you know, spend their own lives and they don't get clean and stuff. So I definitely realized like that I am very lucky that I was, you know, I was 21 when I got, when I got clean and sober, like that's incredible. Like, and I, I've got to live, you know, pretty amazing life. I've spoke about some of my other issues and stuff, but I don't, it doesn't pass me by like that. I've, mm. you know, been very fortunate to, you know, stay clean and sober this entire time and have all this amazing, because like when I look at like things, when I look at like things that I've achieved and things that I've done, like that, that shouldn't have happened from somebody of my upbringing, like from somebody of, of my, I didn't believe in myself as a kid. Like I didn't have a father around. I used drug, drugs and alcohol, used heavy drugs. Like I didn't have any qualifications, any of these things, like no, I had nothing going for me. Like, hmm. so, you know, like I shouldn't have really gotten this far, but the reason I did get this far is because I stopped drink, drinking drugs at 21. Like, and then after that, that got out of the way and then life was able to happen, you know, like my true self was able to come, to come, come out, you know? Yeah. You live in Chamonix, which I hear more and more seems to be the place to be <laughs> for, for great people who, who love the outdoors, obviously. So how's it for you now? I mean, you mentioned that you've, especially due to that addiction and that tough time that you've had, had to go through in the past years, you pulled out a bit out of the whole adventure world and speeches focus a bit more on running. And well, first of all, congratulations on the eight months that you pulled yourself out of Thanks. out of this now and are back on track and I think it's phenomenal that you've done that a second time pretty much the first time with 21 and now I'm going through that again what is what is your life like now what does what does a day look like yeah so at the moment I'm in a funny kind of place because I I I'm well I suppose I haven't really said it but I'm officially retired from diving so I, I spent you know a number of years and I and I haven't been diving in 18 months because I took took the time off due to the gambling and also because I was, you know, not, I wanted to try and focus on some running for a period. One thing led to another and I, I haven't gone back and I, and I don't want to go back. I want to try and figure, figure something else out for myself. And what we were just speaking earlier about with, with, with Hillary and obviously climate change, like living in, living in Chamonix, looking up the glaciers and watching them recede, you know, being involved in the oil industry for all the years that I, that I was, it's definitely an eye opener. So yeah, it's definitely a conscious effort not to be not to be involved in that for that reason as well. I'm kind of transitioning a little bit now and, you know, sort of 
enjoying a, a period of, of off time, I suppose, mini retirement, should we call it. But I am at the moment uh, starting to coach ultra marathoners. So I've been obviously doing that for a number of years myself. Mm. So I'm coaching a couple of people at the moment. So I'm trying to make, make a go of that over the next while. But yeah, at the moment, like I've been, I've, I'm, I've been training all summer for a race, which I did last week. And that was one of the reasons why I couldn't get on the call last week, because it was a bit bit of craziness before the race because I picked up an injury just before the race, mm. which is frustrating. I still started the race and I got, it was a TDS, one of the UTMB races and I made it nearly to the end. I did 120K out of 150, but I had to pull out because my legs were, were, were dead. So yeah, I was kind of focusing on that for the summer. Yeah. But, uh, that's, that's now, that's now over. So I'm just kind of in, in a little bit of a recovery period at the moment. Yeah, that's, that's understandable. I just saw some of the, some of the images of, of that race. It looks just so phenomenal. You know, the, it's a super professional setup, obviously. It's not some backcountry race. It's maybe one of the most professional ultra marathons in sense of setup and, and coverage. I mean, the images that you just, that you just get are phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's definitely gotten bigger and better and it seems to be just growing from year to year. So yeah, more and more people are, are want to, want to, you know, race and run the Alps and on these trails, you know, so it's, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's, for me, it's a great, it's a great sport. I really, really enjoyed it. Even though I've had, I've had varying levels of success, it's been a, a harsh teacher at times, you know, but this is, mm. this is a good thing. You know, you can't always have 100% success. You know, you gotta, you gotta figure out, figure things out bit by bit. And then when you do get success, it, it'll taste that much better. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, thank you so much for, for the time and especially the openness about a topic that is, I would say, still one of a big taboos in, yeah, now for the sake of a better word, in the Western Western society that, yeah, I mean, it's especially things like gambling addiction, I, I don't hear that a lot. And I think a lot of people have it. You hear people, you know, quitting smoking. It's almost a proud thing to say, I, I quit smoking. But you don't hear people so much saying, hey, I actually had, you know, what you had, a strong gambling addiction and I came over it, that it still feels like people maybe don't exactly know that it's just pretty much the same as being addicted to, to substances. You're also completely ruining your life and you've just guided us a little bit through it on how quickly it can derail. And just the one last question for me to get the full understanding, because you... I just felt myself thinking, well, I'm not interested in, when you said it in the beginning, I thought I'm not interested in gambling, like sitting there and pressing these buttons for the get three cherries, but that's not what you were doing. You were not like sitting on these machines in, in you know, bar, but you were what some people would call investing, like option trading and these kind of things with like quick gains, but super, super quick losses. And that, I think that's just one thing I really wanted to highlight that for anyone who thinks that you were now in an online casino, like putting money into these slot machines, it, it was actually through some more or less legitimate like investing platform. They would advertise as you can invest. And, you know, you see on social media, sometimes these people who post that they just lost their life savings because a stock went down and they were over leveraged and all these kind of things where you suddenly get pulled in and, you know, margin trading and all these words that if you listen to a finance podcast, this will be what's out there. And yeah, so for me, it was just important to highlight that when you talk about gambling, that you know, some people might be fooled that they invest, but actually they gamble. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, like I said, I, I thought I was investing, you know, and look, you know, a lot of people are, they're buying something, they're leaving it for a period of time and then they're selling it again. And that, you know, I mean, you know, that's, it's totally normal. And it's, 
how a lot of people operate, but like when you're taking the matter into your own hands, you know, operating a trading account, trading markets in, in different time zones and uh, yeah, like leverage trading, options trading, all that sort of stuff. It's definitely, you know, it's definitely in the realms of, of, of gambling and addiction. People like me, you know, are going to end up in a, in a lot of trouble if they do that. Stick to the ETF <laughs> or something like that. Well, it's not supposed to be financial advice podcast, so. There you go. Let's quickly get that in there. Yeah, but just as a, as a sum up, no. Gavin, again, thank you so much. It was such a fascinating story of you as a human. And obviously we didn't talk a lot about your adventures as such. And I think that's absolutely, absolutely fine giving that you've, you've done amazing things, but you showed us a bit also that doing one thing and then talking about it is like, that's not necessarily always, always helpful for, for anyone. And to understand the struggle that you had behind those adventures and that you are not a, you know, superhuman in the, in that sense, but people sometimes see when you run up these mountains and the, and these things just, it was so refreshing in a sense to get the unfiltered true you as such an extreme athlete and to share all the struggles that just everyone to a larger or smaller extent has. So really thank you so much for that openness and also knowing that you, you know, you haven't, you haven't done any kind of podcast or public speaking in a long time. So I'm really grateful and appreciate that you, that you took this invitation and, and felt comfortable in opening up at this point in time. No, I appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely. I have two more questions and then I will. I will release you. The first question is that, well, both, both of them I ask everyone, but the first is about inspiration because you are hopefully an inspiration to many people on, on many levels at, at this point in time. But what about you? Do you have a person that inspired you either from a young point in time or maybe just recently or someone that you say, okay, that has been always an inspiration for me? I suppose... Yeah, I, yeah, I think when I was growing up, I suppose it was like, I, I could spoke before about not having a, a kind of positive a male role model, but uh, my grandfather, who, who didn't live in the same town we did, he was, you know, there now and again, actually so passed away when I was 16, but like, yeah, he was always an inspiration because um, he was quite into sport and yeah, he's somebody that I kind of always carry with me and uh, my mother's, my mother's father. And I always, oh, if I ever, I, I'm not a big, like. I'm, I'm not religious at all, but like sometimes I say a prayer to him, you know, and when times are tough, you know, just to help me get through something. And so, yeah, for me, I, uh, I always think about it. I actually have a poem <laughs> that he wrote to my grandmother on my arm. Yeah. So like I've got his, his, his writing like on me, you know, so it's, it, it's, it's a nice thing that I've carried with me for many years. Well, that's a really great, that's a really great inspiration. And yeah, to have, to have someone like that, to give you hope in life. That's wonderful. The, the last question that I have is, yeah, more on the un unusual nature in terms of, I'm always curious what people's first reaction is, because if, if you could go out and you could only bring one item with you, or you have one precious item, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, it would probably be my triple layer Gore-Tex jacket. It actually saved me. It saved me during the night in the last race in the snow, because it was snowing in like was the best best for the kit in a while so everyone else is with these super lightweight raincoats i had the triple air and um, this lightweight arteric jacket is, is good so that's that's my go-to item at the moment 
that was Gavin with his truly moving and inspiring story. He went through a lot, both physically and mentally, and in the end came out stronger. But he also made very clear that it's a lifelong fight. Addiction is something extremely severe, and people suffering from that will suffer their entire life. And they are in constant fight. I really have to thank Gavin for being so open. And for him, addiction is a huge and important and pressing topic that might deserve way more attention than it gets. And not only addiction from alcohol or addiction from drugs, but also from gambling or social media and many other forms that addiction can come up that will destroy life. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you like the show, if you like these kind of conversations that we are having, then please rate this podcast and preferably as high as possible, write comments, submit questions, send us emails. We love to engage with you. And if you want to know more about the World Explorers Collective, about our guests, about what we do, then go to worldexplorerscollective.com where you can read about all the guests, their backgrounds, and you can also learn how to apply for funding for your own expeditions. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next time.